You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. All right. On today's podcast, we're going to be doing a recap of the Missouri hunt. So this is a bow hunt that I just got back from a short while ago. Fairly short trip in terms of total hunt days for what you'd consider a normal rut trip. Four full days of hunting, essentially dark to dark. Uh, Was in the woods for every legal minute of those four days and tack on a day of driving on the front back end of that. It seems like more often than not my rut trips get turned into a little bit shorter trips just because I end up spreading out my PTO across most of the fall instead of taking you know two weeks off for say one big rut hunt. It's just you know four day weekend here, five day hunt here, so on and so forth. Maybe one day when I pull like an Iowa bow hunting tag I'll take two weeks off and just hunt the rut there or something to that effect but you know, certainly this was not out of the norm in terms of how uh, trips were scheduled, but this is a kind of like a third annual trip down to Missouri. Very fun trip as usual, more so than any of the other hunts that I do throughout the course of the year. This one has the most deer camp type of an atmosphere. A uh, bunch of the tethered guys were down there even more than last year. The untamed guys were also hanging out with us. Uh, if you don't know who they are, definitely go check them out on YouTube. They're a, a great bunch of guys, real fun to hang out with, good hunters. Uh, so definitely check out the Untamed on YouTube. So we'll get started here quick with the Onyx ad and then roll into just a recap of this hunt day by day, what the plan was, what decisions were made, what deer were seen, and what some of the lessons learned from this type of trip was, and if there was anything I would have done differently in hindsight. As most of you know, I've been using Onyx for several years for e-scouting and waypoint management. In the field or at home, I can browse aerials and topos, map my routes, draw lines and waypoints, color code points of interest, geotag photos of rubs, or even what a specific tree I intend on hunting looks like so that I can find it in the dark, say for example. Furthermore, I can download maps for offline use and of course browse public and private land boundaries. Use the code DIY for a discount on an Onyx Hunt membership. So one of the key differences between this hunt and the last couple years is timing-wise, we went a little bit later this year than what we've done in previous years. And that, I think, did play some of it, somewhat of an impact. I'll get into that in a little bit. But just to kind of cap off what happened day by day, you know, the first day 
it was basically get in super late at night, uh, get a couple hours of sleep and hit the woods. And so because of that, I wanted to try and hit someplace pretty easy in the morning with the assumption that I would basically sit there for the first hour or two and then start doing some scouting and figuring out the plan for the rest of the day. Given the fact that a lot of the guys would be using some of the trail systems, there's always the chance that some of these, you know, spots close to the parking lot, of course, get overlooked. So I picked out a ridge that was essentially overlooking one of the main access trails. And on top of this ridge, it looked like it was high likelihood that it had some, you know, higher stem count cover just based on the aerial photos. And just from some of the experiences last year, kind of remembering this place. So I just walked essentially right out of the parking lot and got in a couple hundred yards and picked a tree to hang off of on the ground level. And sure enough, about half hour after daylight, I had a, a doe come in uh, at ground level, probably 15, well, let's say she's probably 25 yards away, uh, probably more realistic and no buck behind her. That was the only deer that I saw that time in the morning. So got up to start the scouting and just worked that whole area of that ridge next to the parking lot and really just did not see a whole lot of sign. Almost made it seem like that one deer I saw was more of a fluke than anything else. It's tough to see fresh sign because I think the leaf, uh, a large portion of the leaves had just dropped in like the last couple days prior. So a lot of the sign that would have been on the ground and a lot of the trails really didn't have much of an opportunity to get re uh, pounded down. So you really were just looking for at this point in time, fresh tracks from like that morning or just disturbed leaves from like an individual deer walking through, but there really wasn't enough sign left on the ground to be able to say, you know, Hey, there's a, a lot of deer that have been using this for the last, you know, several days or week. And of course, rubs were the other kind of primary, uh, fresh sign type of a thing. If, if there's a rub, especially with the fresh leaf drop, if there's a rub with shavings on the ground, then for sure that was a known fresh rub, but really this first spot, not a whole lot there. So I went on speed scouting mission and knowing what the wind direction was going to be the next few days, and it wasn't just going to be the same wind; it was going to change. I wanted to check out a whole bunch of spots. I had a rough ish idea of where some of the other guys were going to be, but there was just too many, too many guys in total to really know for sure, like what areas were absolutely getting hit and which ones were not. And even amongst the group, I knew a lot of other guys were kind of hunting with a mobile mentality and we're going to be moving throughout the day. So it was really just kind of a, a move and hit the spots that you want to hit and hope that you don't bump into anybody. So if memory serves me correctly at this point in time, anyway, we had kind of a West wind, mostly a West Northwest perhaps. And because of that, I went into this drainage area that was kind of a big thermal hub on the East side of one of these ridge systems. So a lot of these ridge systems in this area, they have a big primary ridge and then they have fingers coming off of them. And you'll have a lot of these main ridge systems adjacent to one another. So between them, you'll have some of these thermal hub type areas. And of course, in the middle of them, you'll have convergence hubs up at the top or a lot of those finger ridges. If you were to draw connecting lines across all of them, but sort of meet at the very highest elevation. So I started in the low area because a lot of times low areas, it's really easy to see some of that uh, rut sign, especially rubs. Um, if there was any scrape activity still happening. There's a likelihood you could see some of that down in some of those bottom areas. But also at this point in time, the thermals were just, I mean, they were, they were getting ready to start rising, but they weren't quite there yet. So I started in the bottom and, and sort of worked my way up, moving up this ridge system and ended up finding, <laughs> bumping into one of the other guys in the group. Uh, and, and turns out, you know, I had been kind of tracking and, and following the leaves here and not seeing a whole lot of fresh sign. But as it turns out, 
I had just missed and was probably on the tail end of, of, I think like four does in one uh, shooter buck that the other guy had just seen move through not too long before our walk through. And from the sounds of it, I, I didn't spook the deer, just kind of random chance. Um, but I decided to keep moving up that ridge system and just checking at this point, what does this, what does the pinch point situation look like? Deer could be cruising. They could be traveling this leeward system of finger ridges. And so I wanted to see of these finger ridges, which ones had the best pinches and the way that I would speed scout this typically. And what I did on this day as well is if you look at the main ridge system and you, you just, they run in almost a straight line oftentimes. And then all of these little finger ridges kind of jut off, but they don't, the ravines from those finger ridges don't come all the way up to the very center of the ridge. They're, they're down a ways. And it almost kind of takes the shape. If you're looking at a topo map of like an oak leaf, uh, you know, the spine of the main ridge will be just the center of that leaf. And then all of the little finger ridges will be coming off of that main leaf. And so right where would be kind of the, you know, the inside gaps of the you know, what, what an oak leaf would look like. That's what I'm looking for on the topo maps to say, like, this is the top of these, you know, individual ravines between the finger ridges. And that's oftentimes if there's going to be a good pinch point where it's going to occur, because those deer might travel on just the leeward side, you know, third away down from the main ridge, or they could be running up and down those finger ridges. And if it's not steep enough, they can really do any combination of that and even go right up and down the areas you wouldn't expect them to. So the steeper, the better, the more cut out some of the top ends of those drainages are, the better. And what I was finding is that in a lot of cases, you know, the woods, there wasn't a lot of transition on, on these higher ridges between higher stem count and more open type cover. A lot of it was fairly open to where you could see, you know, easy 150, 200 yards. And most of the top ends of these drainages for these finger ridges were not all that steep. I mean, they're steep enough that you'd say, I would, I would hope, and I would assume that deer might cross right over here and I would be marking trees accordingly and then checking out the next one, but nothing that was just like a cliff uh, or a bluff where the deer had to cross a top and just did that for another hour. Just marked a whole bunch of these ridges with the expectation to mark or go back and hunt the best one. And so that was what I did, you know, 11 AM picked the best one, went back to it and just set up not a lot of fresh sign, but just based on the topography, it was a good chance that I was going to be able to see some movement. Ended up sitting till one. And again, just kind of got the feeling that I'm going to be here for four days. I've got a decent number of miles logged at this point, looking at some of these finger ridges and the, you know, sort of the pinch points between them, but I'm not definitely on deer. I'd, I'd maybe spooked like one or two does at this point that were bedded up high, but I, I wanted to get a better feel for what else was there. So I decided to get down probably around 1 PM and do some additional scouting. So jumped from one main ridge system to another, uh, all on foot and just did basically the same thing. And we're just looking at some of these really good looking areas on the topo maps that should potentially either be number one bedding or number two pinch points and saw basically the same type of thing as, as Ridge one, where there really wasn't anything that was ultimately steep enough to force deer travel. There was some deer sign on the ridge. There were some rubs, you know, not a whole lot different from the first one. And then decided again to just check out another one and another one. And for the most of that first day, I ended up just covering a lot of miles and just marking places off the list and, you know, marking potential waypoints for places I could potentially want to set up on the following days. So that's kind of the main recap for day one. 
uh, and nobody of the group, which this is kind of interesting in a sense for the amount of guys that we had down there, which was quite a number. Uh, nobody had gotten any shots off that day, I, I believe, uh, if my memory is serving me correctly. So fast forward into day two, wind direction is now shifting to more of a north to northwest. So given the previous day's learnings of there not being really a whole lot of either number one long ridge systems where you're going to have the quote unquote leeward ridge travel and not having a lot of those really hard pinch points in terms of funneling deer movement, I decided to sit in an area where I had a high likelihood I felt like of just getting kind of general deer travel. And, and I felt like that type of an area would be the top of one of these drainage systems, right? So I used the analogy earlier of the oak leaf being kind of a ridge system in terms of what it looks like on a topo map. Well, if you got that and then you got another one next to each other between those two main ridges, you have a big drainage. And if you go all the way up to the top of the, the drainage to where like the stems of those oak leaves would meet, you end up getting a lot of saddles. You get a little convergence hub there of high ground and the potential for a lot of those traveling deer to pass through as they're going maybe from one, from, uh, one ridge system to the next. And the other thing that I didn't really mention before, but uh, was definitely the case here too, in addition to the leaf drop, uh, making it a little bit harder to see the fresh deer sign, there's acorns just all over the place. I mean, they are everywhere, every ridge, every elevation, you'll find acorns and it's tough just not to step on them. They're so spread out all over the place. So that was definitely making things a little bit more challenging too, because it meant that the does are going to be more spread out. And last year when we hunted this place and had a lot of success, the acorns were, it was not a heavy mash crop. They were pretty much gone by the time we did our rut trip. And that really congregated a lot of the does into more river bottom areas. And of course that brought in the bucks as well. And it made for kind of a perfect storm. So definitely that's, that's playing in all of our minds as we're picking our spots for this trip that we're, we're going to be a little bit more spread out. Probably not going to see as many deer because the food source is so spread out. But anyway, uh, back to this day two setup, uh, got in there before first light, just based on, you know, totally the topo maps, uh, looking at Onyx and picking this area where I was up in a drainage where the thermals would be dropping down that drainage as if it was water flowing down the hill. And then also the primary wind for when it would pick up would also be going that same direction. So everything's going downhill. And so when I got onto this, you know, saddle in the top of this drainage system, I just worked down in the dark and, and just tried to look around and make an assumption on if there was any kind of military crest drop off, that's where I wanted to be. And if there wasn't, which ended up being, there wasn't, it was just kind of a gradual slope the whole way down, just picked a tree where I thought it seemed about right elevation wise. And then also it was a tree that was worth climbing. A lot of the trees down here, you know, they're not, they're not, they're great for climbing a lot of times, but they don't always have great cover in them, you know, smaller, taller trees, some of which would be good for climbing tree stands. Uh, but definitely not a lot of cover and you really stand out like a sore thumb. And also the, there's a, quite a large number of these smaller trees that are, you know, say like two inches in diameter to where they don't really obstruct your vision too much, but they really make shooting lanes tough. So it was just doing kind of the best job I could have picking a tree out in the dark, knowing that again, once it got light, I might just shift over based on what I could see. Climbed up a big oak tree and not 
10 minutes before a legal shooting light could hear what sounded like a single buck just kind of walking through uh, and cruising about 40 yards below me. Just that steady, slow walk at a constant pace. And then when it got light out, I could see another buck probably 80 yards further down the drainage. Looked like probably a legal buck. They had to have four points on the side in this area of Missouri, but uh, not a big one by any means. And about, you know, mid-morning, six does that also came down hill of me about 60 yards. And at that point, I knew I needed to move down a little bit further. Even though, in addition to all those deer, I had also seen a doe and a spike up at the very top of the ridge munching on acorns as they kind of pass through decided there's more deer below me than above me and with the rising thermal starting to kick up the kind of that scent uh that scent tunnel so to speak was going to be at that lower elevation like where those deer were moving so i got down just picked up another tree and hunted there for the rest of the day ended up seeing right before dark another four deer a uh, combination of bucks and does and one of the does appeared to get appeared that she was getting pushed by one of the bucks, you know, some grunting and things like that. But, uh, that, that buck wasn't all that large either. And he wouldn't have been in range regardless if I had wanted to shoot him. Day three was going to be a Northeast wind. So again, another little shift from what we had the first couple of days and it was going to be almost dead calm the next morning. Meaning of course that the thermals are going to be the overriding factor more so than the wind direction for at least the very first couple hours of the day. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I saw, you know, what over 15 deer the day before just set up in that same spot and at least start there. Started there. Didn't see any deer for the first, you know, till nine o'clock got down. And then at that point shifted over to just another side of this convergence up at the top into another drainage top across the saddle. And this one was going to be kind of the same type of a, an area as the day before where now I would have this prevailing wind direction blowing down the drainage and I would have the rising thermals coming up, just pick the spot. And again, there's just not really any good terrain features and there's acorns everywhere. So you're just picking a spot and basically hoping that if you do see a deer, it's going to come within range. It's a good likelihood. You see a deer that could come through 80 yards, hundred yards away. And it's just not much you can do other than trying to call to it. But that's, it was kind of working with what we had there. You know, the other options were you could try and go down and hunt more of a thicker creek bottom type of an area, or, you know, just try and pick a spot that's a little bit steeper if you can find one. Uh, but I felt like in terms of general deer travel, again, this was a type of place where I was going to at least have a good likelihood of, you know, seeing a fair number of deer. As it turned out though, still hadn't seen anything through midday. Uh, sitting in the spot. So decided to do some pre-scouting for the following day and also late evening that day. Got down, uh, just did some quick speed scouting. The following day was going to be a south wind, so dramatically different wind direction. And I knew that with a south wind, there were going to be a couple areas that had steeper terrain, stuff that could potentially, you know, not, not force deer movement, but make them much more likely to stay in the more predictable areas. So did that speed scouting, ended up finding a pretty good looking spot where we had one of these longer ridge systems right above a creek. And we're talking like three, 400 feet elevation change between the creek bottom and the top. And it went down pretty steep. And right at the very top of this particular ridge, it was flat. And we had kind of a mixture of trees, mostly just, you know, the open oaks that is very common there, but also there's some evergreen trees up on that top as well. And then you probably had a 60 yard 
distance where you had, you know, maybe a more shallow slope before it dropped off really steep. So that was your classic military crest. So I basically picked out a big oak tree that gave me enough cover where I could climb up and be able to shoot to either the top of the flat or be able to shoot down to that edge of the military crest. Sat there for the remainder of the day, saw a whole bunch of turkeys, but no deer. But again, I was setting up for that south wind and came back in there to set up the following morning and probably five minutes before first light had a buck come in chasing a doe right up on top of the flat. And because I was a little bit further down, my thermals had me totally safe. The deer had no idea I was there. Um, and they were basically eye level with me at about 15 yards. So, um, you know, trying to <laughs> stay perfectly still because effectively it, it is as if at this point I'm sitting on the ground, uh, you know, eye level with these deer and they passed through, never knew I was there. Shortly after that had, I think three more does come in down below me right at the top of that military crest. And then the buck that had been chasing that first doe, he circled down and kind of connected with those does. Um, but it, it didn't really seem like any major rut activity. He was just kind of, just kind of joined up with them, uh, for feeding more so than anything else. And, and just kind of the general thought, I guess, at this point, in terms of the overall scheme of the rut is because this is a little bit later trip, the thought is that the, the bigger, older bucks are probably in the quote unquote lockdown, uh, meaning that they're with does, they're probably in some kind of cover and they're going to stay with whatever doe they're with until that breeding, you know, cycle is over and then they'll go find another one. And so the, the hope and the thought process is, well, if they get done with one doe and there there's could be whatever number of, of these, you know, bigger bucks, whenever they come off one doe, they're going to need to find another one. And that is the hope that you're going to catch them between does as they travel uh, from one location to another. And I think one of the challenges is because there's so many does here and it seems like the buck to doe ratio is, is very heavily weighted toward the does more so than the bucks. I, I started to get the feeling that they, they don't have to move far to get from one doe to another once they are done, you know, being locked down with one particular doe. Uh, but certainly at this point, some of the other guys in the group had at least seen shooter bucks and in a couple of cases gotten shots at them. So, you, you know, they're out there, you know, you have that chance of catching one between does. And so that's really, you know, the fingers crossed. That's what you're hoping happens uh, at this time of the rut. So after seeing all of those deer at first light, I continued to sit in that spot and saw two more does. And one of them ended up bedding down like 60 yards from me, but I could tell that now that it was light out and I could see further down the ridge and I could, you know, kind of look at where all the deer movement I had seen for that day so far had been, I could tell I was going to have better shootability if I moved about 120 yards down that ridge. So that was what I did. I got down, moved about 120 yards, had better shootability to the flat, had better shootability to the military crest. And also it was steeper here. So it was again, even a better chance of really corralling that deer movement into that little narrow strip of about 50 yards. Unfortunately, only saw one more doe. Uh, she came up on the flat, was feeding on acorns and then dropped down almost right below my tree and hung out there for probably 10, 15 minutes, but no buck behind her. And that was essentially the end of the trip, had to drive home after that. So what that kind of leads us to is what are some of the lessons learned here? What are some of the things that I could have done differently. What are some of the things I maybe wish I had done differently? So for starters, let's talk about the timing of the trip. I think rut timing, it seems like either on the front end or the back end of the rut, 
in terms of peak breeding always seems to be the best bet. And, and just kind of anecdotal evidence will say you'll see a lot of bucks in general pre-rut or, you know, in the days leading up to sort of the peak of the bell curve for breeding. And on the back end, that's traditionally when you see more of your your bigger lone, you know, cruising bucks looking for some of those later does that are coming into asterisk. And we were pretty much just based on the, the historical data and you know, things like Spartan Forge basically aligned with this and any other data you can find for uh, doe conception dates in the area would say that most does were getting bred around the time we were there. And so there's kind of two key strategies here and, and you can beg the question that maybe we should have been more aggressive, but the two key strategies are you either sit in your spot and you just put in your hours, you put in your persistence and you wait it out in the hopes that you catch one of those bigger bucks in between does when he gets off one doe and has to go find another one, which is a very, you know, valid and applicable way of punching a tag during that time frame. Or the other option is you basically try and get really aggressive and find deer that are in lockdown, maybe bump a doe that has a couple of bucks on her. And then you're in the game. Essentially, you might have to get back on him again if you spook him, but you, you know, that you're on a hot doe and you can kind of play it by ear from there. And so I definitely took more of the first strategy with the exception of the first day. The first day I covered a lot of miles and walked through a lot of areas that I would have hoped to bump more deer and just was not bumping a lot of deer. And you got to remember too, that when we get back to the cabin, I mean, there's 15 other guys that you're you know telling stories with and talking about what you did that day and what you saw. And I mean, there's a lot of guys in this group that are doing the more aggressive strategy going into some of those thicker Creek bottoms, going into some of the other, you know, areas that you would assume would be bedding areas, trying to bump some of these bigger deer, uh, trying to find them, trying to find those that are in heat. And that was, you know, kind of main strategies for some of the guys in the group. Whereas other guys were more doing the thing that I was doing where they were maybe doing some scouting and moving based on the wind direction, but ultimately hoping that they're going to be able to catch one of those older cruising bucks between does. And in terms of the shot opportunities, it seemed like more more of the people that got shot opportunities were definitely doing the more uh, persistence uh, method of hunting. Uh, and I think a lot of that also has to do with just the, the terrain here. In some of these cruising type areas, you can see, like I mentioned, you know, 150, 200 yards. That doesn't mean you can, you can shoot very far if you get up in a tree, but certainly if you ha- are able to get a deer coming into range, your ability, I feel like, to get a shot off is much better when you're up elevated than it is on the ground where... I mean, they can just, they can see so far and they can catch that movement for a long ways away. Also the leaves were just, this is like walking on cornflakes. Every morning, the temperature was in the high twenties and it would usually heat up to, you know, either fifties or low sixties, depending on which day it was. So the leaves were really challenging to try and be quiet. And so that was kind of hampering the, the strategy of just trying to, you know, quietly sneak up on a group of deer that were in lockdown. Uh, but certainly it was being tried and I think it probably wasn't, you know, helping us for sure to be during this particular phase of the rut. Perhaps if we were a week earlier, we would have seen more just cruising bucks in general, but I don't think that was, you know, necessarily the be all end all for this trip. Uh, certainly the, the number of deer killed were, were much lower uh, this year. Last year, I think we killed like five bucks in like six days or something like that. Uh, and I think a lot of them were over the course of like a two day span. Whereas in this trip, it was what, two, three times as many people and less deer killed overall, uh, which, you know, hunting pressure is the next thing we can talk about here. We had with our group, 
more people than we had last year. And it's not just X number of people. It's, it's X number of people with a similar hunting mentality, X number of people that are hunting mobile that are scouting, you know, two and three times as much as they're, they're hunting or scouting until they feel satisfied and picking a particular spot rather than just, you know, parking for four days and not moving, uh, guys that are not afraid to hunt on the ground if they feel like that's what is the most effective way. And, and so, I mean, throw into that too, that you had a good trail system here and you had opportunities to use bicycles and man, it, this place just got absolutely covered. And certainly that's not always, you know, the best thing, but it's also the rut. And it wasn't like nobody was seeing deer. I mean, a lot of guys are seeing deer. It's just that most of the deer that were being seen were does, uh, with the exception of, you know, a couple of smaller bucks and the exception of a couple of, you know, big shooter bucks that guys did get shot opportunities at. What I think also played a role is that this year, as we found out, there was, there was basically two big groups that also had hunted for like a week span prior to us all getting together and hunting this area. Whereas last year, I think we were really the only, the first people that, that truly hit it. And so a lot of the, the deer hadn't really been hunted that hard at that point in archery season. And this year, certainly imagine how much of an impact our group had. And then you multiply that by three times, you know, the smaller groups so maybe not quite that exaggerated, but, but certainly those deer were getting hounded pretty hard with similar hunting styles and similar, met- similar methodologies for at this point, probably a week and a half straight. And we're on the tail end of that. So, I mean, imagine going out and bass fishing a lake right after a big three day high dollar tournament, right? You're, you're kind of picking up the scraps at that point. And certainly you can still have success. Absolutely. Uh, but it does definitely, I think, impact things, particularly if some of those bucks that were older, and, and if we're saying, if we're saying there's a lot of does around, and if some of these bucks got harassed, in the earlier stages of the rut and perhaps that got them to move off the property, you know, temporarily. And then they still found enough does outside of where they would normally be. That could be a contributing factor to why we maybe saw less of the older class deer that we saw last year. And, you know, it just could be that there's, there's enough does everywhere. They don't have to be necessarily locked into a certain place. They're just going to get driven into wherever there's the least amount of pressure. And then they're still going to find does there. Um, so though, I think that combined with the, the lockdown timing, probably meant that we were less likely to see some of the older age class of animals that we had seen in years past. And certainly we could have gone to different areas. Um, but you know, again, part of the, just kind of the fun aspect of this type of a hunt where you have a whole bunch of guys and you're able to swap stories and, you know, talk about what you did and what you saw and everybody's kind of on the same ground. There's definitely a very fun aspect of that, that I think kind of, kind of extends beyond and supersedes just the the only desire to try and go out and kill a deer. Um, so that's kind of, you know, if you're looking at doing a similar hunt and you're, you're in this type of a scenario where you feel like the odds are really stacked against you and hunting pressure is definitely not in your favor. I know there's certainly areas in Missouri that get way less pressure than, uh, what we were putting on this particular uh, piece of land. So if you're doing a hunt on your own, I would recommend if you're in that scenario, go find someplace else and you're, you're probably going to be able to find a place that has very low pressure. We talked about how the food had the deer spread out. I really don't know that there's much, a whole lot else that you can do in that, that type of scenario other than, you know, again, looking at the map and trying to figure out if there's other areas of, of public that, that either don't have the level of oaks, which is going to be tough in, in a state like Missouri. Um, cause it, 
the whole a whole large portion of that state looks very similar. You know, just the rolling hills and just kind of that monoculture between the, the hardwoods with oak trees all over the place at all elevations. And then you get those thicker creek bottoms. So I think spread out food and how that has the does concentrated or rather lack of concentration. I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do there, but it would definitely tend to point you towards you should try and pick as good a pinch points as you can. If you're if going to be that spread out, then certainly you want to try and pick areas where if you do see deer, they're going to come within range. And that again, in some of these areas is, is tough just because of the, the rolling nature of these hills. It's just not, when you compare it to something like Northeast Iowa or Southwest Wisconsin or, or something like that, where you got three, 400 foot elevation change, but it's over a very, very steep and short amount of distance. It's just not the same. So basically the better you can find the easier opportunity that you're going to have that a deer comes in the range. And I think the spot that I found and picked out on day four, if, if I sat there for, let's say seven days straight, dark to dark, I have a pretty high confidence that I would see a good number of deer that have a good number of deer within range. And that eventually I might get that opportunity to bigger deer. Of course, I only spent one day there that trip. So it's, if you've ever heard somebody like Bobby Worthington talk about hunting during the rut, and especially when he talks about persistence, you know, he'll give a, a scenario like, you know, if you spend 30 days in the tree, dark to dark and, and run scenarios based on that. Now, if you, you know, cut out weekdays and, and only hunt, you know, mornings and evenings, how much you're, you're really cutting back down on the probabilities, you know, when you're hunting in areas like this, that you do need the stars to align and there's low percentage, but you're basing your hunt on that persistence style of, of hoping for success, then certainly it, it might be good if you're planning a trip like this to plan for lots of days, you know, the more, more days you can get the better. And if you don't have the days, then, then maybe it's one of those opportunities where you, you try and look for a state that's going to give you better opportunity to have success in a shorter amount of days, be it, you know, river bottom funnels in, in a Western state or, or something to that effect. As it stands though, still had a really good time, uh, loved hanging out with everybody and look forward to doing something similar, you know, if it's the same time and place as, you know, the next year, or if we end up picking a different place. For me now, I will be taking a weekend off, not doing anything over Thanksgiving, just visiting with family locally, and then Iowa Shotgun next weekend. Pretty excited about that one. I've been, I don't, I don't know that I can do any more e-scouting. I, I think at this point, I've got enough spots picked that I can't, I can't learn anything more until I get boots on the ground. Uh, so I'm pretty excited for that and that'll, I'll be giving it my all that trip. It'll probably again be another one of those all day sit, move if needed. Otherwise just sit tight and wait for other hunter pressure to hopefully push deer past me. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be the first hunt that I've done with a firearm this year. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, Thanks for listening.